Okay. We are one step closer to the end of our little study through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, This week, we are talking about the second to last line of the Creed. We believe in the resurrection of the body. The notes in the third millennium material that we've been working with uh, are broken up into three, three main sections. Uh, the curse in our bodies, the gospel in our bodies, and the three stages of redemption in our bodies. So that's kind of what we're going to be thinking about today. Uh, let's ask this first. What was God's curse in terms of our bodies? What say you? Disease, certainly a big part of that. I mean, um, any kind of sickness is a response, as a fruit of the curse. What else? Labor and delivery. Labor and delivery. <laughs> Without meds. <laughs> well, and I would even say, uh, with, you're still experiencing the curse, and yet God in His kindness has made a way to uh, navigate that differently. Uh, This comes from the curse in Genesis 3, God's response to sin. To the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Um, You know, one thing to note there too is that the idea there is not only giving birth, um, but even raising children. I mean, there is a... um, And even pregnancy, like it's okay to say that that's a part of the curse. And it wouldn't have always been as it is. For those of you who are tried in pregnancy, uh, that that would be different if not for the fall. Amen? <laughs> uh, you know, also, I mean, difficulty in our work. You know, uh, work is not as fruitful as it could be or should have been. Oftentimes we labor without seeing the kinds of results that we would hope to see whether that's in our families or in our workplace or whatever it may be. Uh, sin has wrought unique challenges. And um, all of this is mentioned. I mean, uh, curse is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. So hard work. And I would say work would always have been hard, but this is like bad hard. And... Uh, Unfruitful work is is there. What else? Marital relationships. relationships, That's uh, certainly a breakdown in what we see. Uh, He goes on, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So that's, you know, we have uh, physical hardship, we have sickness, certainly we have uh, the breakdown in relationships. We lo- looked through last week, wrote up on the board, there's the breakdown within the self. Um, you know, even your body may do things chemically uh, if you battle depression or anxiety, and there are chemical things going on in your body that are off because of the fall. It- it's all a product of um, the fall. And yet the ultimate one is death. To dust we will return. And that is uh, universally true. We all have sinned. Um, We sinned in Adam. Therefore we will die. And if that wasn't enough, we've proved our sinfulness over and again throughout our lives. 
So, question then, is death natural? What do you think? No. No. (laughs) Absolutely not. Death is an enemy. And it is uh, a fruit of sin. Of course, um, as I just said, because sin is universal, death is universal, and uh, that does not mean it's not tragic. Even when you have a 94-year-old godly woman who has never remembered a day when she did not know the Lord and has served Him faithfully and has left quite a legacy, or godly man, whichever, um, even in that situation, when you go to her funeral or his funeral, you still have the sense that this is not the way it was supposed to be. Uh, death is still an enemy. And there is still grieving, even though there is rejoicing, because uh, death is an enemy. And, you know, I can... Most of you, I think, have lost loved ones or um, walked alongside those that have. Um, I've lost loved ones. I've done funerals for those who have lost loved ones, young and old. And I can tell you that when people are in the valley of the shadow of death... um, this is actually a very helpful thought, that death is an enemy. And, and it just helps to frame what is going on. Um, this is not the way God designed it. This is a fruit of sin, and it is always um, gut-wrenching, tragic, hard. You know, so we can press against the whole, well, they had a long, good life, and it's just time. Well, maybe that's true. But why do they have to die? Um, the fall and its effects in the world. And this is um, really important because, you know, the gospel, which simply means good news, is uh, not only that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, that is good news. Um, He did pay the wages that were owed to God for our sin with his death, but he also rose from death, defeating sin and death in Uh, his resurrection for all who trust in him and so one of the enemies that had to be destroyed is death and he has conquered death and will prove that uh, throughout redemptive history in our resurrections as well so we're going to talk more about that Um, let's back up though in terms of resurrection is this just a new testament idea or is this also in the old testament as well Yeah. Do you know where? Job. Job? Uh, can you think of what it says? Um, he, I feel like he speaks of seeing his Savior. Mm. Um, I remember that from Dr. Young's sermon, actually, but I don't remember what passage that is. While you're looking, uh, I'll mention a couple others. Daniel 12, uh, 1 and 2. The, it says, At that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's about the resurrection. Isaiah twenty six nineteen: Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake, sing for joy. The earth will give birth to the dead. Uh, again, talking about the general resurrection. 
There is not much in the Old Testament about resurrection. It uh, usually comes in the context of the prophets. The prophets were speaking to the people of Israel during helpless times uh, when they had been, for instance, taken into exile in Babylon, like in Daniel's time, but they're speaking about a future hope. They're speaking about something that God is going to do to remedy this terrible situation. And uh, so they're, you know, when they're speaking, Daniel and Isaiah talking about this time ahead when, when the dead will live, um, they're talking about this hope, this expectation that God's people can have because he's going to do something in the future. Did you find it? I googled it. Oh, well, that's <laughs> always a good option. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes, Job 19, 25, and 26. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall, shall see God. Wow. that's If that's not about the resurrection, you know, I don't know what is. Um, and also, David, you know, Bathsheba's son of the stillborn. That's right. Yeah, he obviously had some kind of hope beyond the grave, um, as he says, uh, oh, I can't remember exactly, but. He will not return to me, but I will go to him, kind of thing. And uh, knowing that he is in good hands with the Lord, and I will be there one day. So, the the resurrection is not, you, you might say it's not prominent uh, throughout the Old Testament, and yet it is obviously there in a number of different places. Uh, in the wisdom books with Job, in the, in the history books with David, in the prophetic books uh, looking forward. So it is really an important Old Testament idea that gets really fleshed out a lot more um, in the New Testament. So why is the resurrection so much more prominent in the New Testament? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Because the hope had come in the flesh. All of the things that were being prophesied by the prophets 500 to 700 years prior to Christ, and, and the hope for this deliverance and redemption for the people of God, uh, where the dead will rise, well, that hope has come. And uh, His name is Jesus. So, uh, Jesus' death was the last sacrifice. It was the, the, the one true sacrifice for the sins of God's people. His resurrection was the stamp of God's approval that this is so. Reversing the curse and launching God's blessing to the ends of the earth uh, through the power of the resurrection. So that is why it's so prominent because Jesus has come. And uh, all the resurrection of all things depends upon the resurrection of Christ. And he, His resurrection is uh, what drives the hope of the resurrection for us and also for, you know, all of creation. All right, so what if Jesus was not raised from the dead? It would not be good, and we should go home. Uh, Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll look at that. First Corinthians 15, there was a faction in Corinth. I'm not uh, certain if this is like outside the church and they're, they're sweeping away Christians or some had arisen inside uh, and are like, you know, the resurrection, it's not real and we, we don't really have to believe in that. But Paul replies to that in the, uh, starting in verse 13 of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. 
If there is no resurrection, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we've been saying He raised Jesus, and if the dead are not raised, He didn't raise Jesus. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, that is, useless, ineffective, pointless, fruitless. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. Um, in other words, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, there is no good news to be had. If Jesus was not raised, you really shouldn't be here, Paul says. If Jesus was not raised, uh, go home and do whatever your heart tells you to do, and it really doesn't matter uh, how wicked that is, because eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's truly, the, the resurrection is central to the hope that we have, and without it, we have no hope. Um, and we have no gospel, and we have no Christianity, and we should all just go home and stop playing games. But, Paul doesn't just stop, and I love that. Don't ever, if you use that line of argumentation, what if, da 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 well, turn the corner and declare, you know, that's, an, that's a helpful way, but look how Paul then turns, picking up in verse 20. But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. So uh, Paul's argument here is that the resurrection is central to the hope that we have. Without it, we have no hope. Uh, But with it, we have nothing to fear and everything to look forward to. So, Now, uh, God works out this hope of the resurrection in three phases or stages of redemption in our lives. What are they? Anyone want to take a stab? We have conversion when you become a Christian to death. Then we have death until Christ's return. And then you have Christ's return to infinity and beyond. Uh, Three stages that are evident in the Scriptures, and we're going to look at these to, to kind of better understand. So, we've talked plenty about the fact that when we're born into this world, we are born in a state of spiritual death. Uh, we have life in the sense that we have breath in our lungs and blood coursing through our veins, but we are, spiritually speaking, dead in our sins. But By God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, He brings us to new life. He causes us to be born again. Uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, John chapter 3, one of the most famous passages in the Bible, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And so um, that is a work of God by the Spirit. Look at 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Somebody, whoever gets there first, go ahead and read that. Blessed be the God 
God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy begat us again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Yeah, that's good. He uh, he says, mine says, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Um, so here we see in this uh, first phase of the the resurrection hope at work in the world, this is from conversion to death. When you're born again, when you're converted, when you become a Christian. This is via the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there are going to be no Christians because it is the power of the resurrection that is at work in the world to bring us from death to life, spiritually speaking. So if we don't have a resurrection, we don't have spiritual life. Um, That is the fountain of life that then is reproduced in our lives. But you can see how it's explained. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead. All right, Romans eight eleven. Somebody, Bible drill on over there and read it when you get there. Romans eight eleven. So, the Spirit raised Christ from the dead. The Spirit raises us from spiritual death as He's given to us and brings us to new life in Christ. Um, There, again, we see in this first stage, if you will, of redemption that uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the power of the resurrection at work in the world, in our lives... Um, so, the same Spirit. I mean, this is something that you just ought to meditate on. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead has been given to you. And that's true whether or not you became a Christian when you were so young you can't remember when you weren't a Christian or if you were a teenager or if you were in your 20s or if it was last week or if it's sometime in the future. When you come to faith in Christ you do so by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Resurrection, the one who raised Jesus from the dead. So um, that's the first stage of redemption, conversion until death. Now, the second stage is from death until Jesus returns. That's often called the intermediate state by theologians and, and people of that sort, but we shouldn't confuse that. That language might be a little confusing. We're not talking about purgatory Um, We don't believe that. That's not a biblical teaching. But there is an intermediate state that we can talk about, uh, stage two of three, in terms of the outworking of the hope of the resurrection. So what happens to our bodies and our souls in this intermediate state? What do you think? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's a great way uh, to explain it. That's from... uh, It's from Paul. Where is it from? (laughs) Yeah, it's good. I think it's from 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, I believe that that's when he's talking about this earthly tent and uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Y'all can check me there. Anyways, our bodies return to the dust and our souls go immediately to heaven 
to be in the presence of the Lord. Much of this is understood by inference. If we take a few different passages and kind of piece them together, we can see that this is what the Bible teaches. Um, For instance, we see in the Scriptures that our bodies are not raised until the last trumpet when Jesus returns. Go to 1 Corinthians 15 again, and we will look uh, at that in order to see this, that our bodies are raised... Uh, at the last. I'll start reading in verse 40. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. Uh, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You can you know, uh, see this. Uh, he keeps going on like that, but he's talking about our natural body, which we now uh, have, and the fact that we will have a spiritual body. But go down... Um, 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Um, so, <clears throat> even though, just from the perspective of our, of our bodies, I guess technically you could say that saying, it seems like death gets the victory. Um, although, that can no longer be said. At the last trumpet, when all the bodies are raised, when you're given a new body, uh, an imperishable body, you know, we go into the ground and return to dust, our perishable body, the one that we now have, and we're going to get a new body, and it's imperishable, which means it can never break down and, and uh, to infinity and beyond. But what we see here is that that is given at the, the last trumpet that when Christ returns, um, that's referring to the second return of Christ. So you have this conversion to death, and then you have this second stage of redemption, which is death to Christ's return, and a way to describe that would be... There you have it. Absent from the body and present or at home with the Lord. Um, of course, we you know, this doesn't mean that we don't go be with the Lord immediately. We do. And how do we know that? Um, how do we know that we go to the Lord right when we die? Where would you look in the scriptures to prove that? I thought of Abraham. Which is what about? Um, when he was, um, I can't remember, but he was in the bosom, or yeah. he was immediately like in the bosom. Of- there you go. Okay, so the uh, man that's uh, wanting, desiring to be in the bosom of Abraham, and tell my family, and you know all of that. Okay, that's a good one. What else? The murder. 
great one. Today you will be with me in paradise, Jesus said. That's uh, pretty direct. Today you're going to glory. Now, that doesn't mean that, that doesn't contradict the fact that our bodies won't be raised until the end, but it helps us to better understand, even though we may not quite understand how that can be, um, that we will be present with the body, uh, present with the Lord, away from the body. Now, just because we do not have our new resurrection bodies, though, it does not mean that we will be unrecognizable in our glorified state or that we will just be some, uh, I don't know, wispy, you know, thing, ghost-like figure. Uh, We, though we don't have our new bodies, we'll still be recognizable and we can see that from the Scriptures. Turn to Matthew 17. This is uh, the transfiguration when Peter, James, and John were taken on the mountain with Jesus and Jesus was transfigured into His glorified state. He was changed before them. His clothes were white as light. His face shone like the sun. He was showing them what He was going to look like after the resurrection, essentially, and in His glorified uh, state. And something that happens here, uh, you can see verse 2, He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Him. And Peter said, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. So here you have Moses and Elijah. We're not to the last trumpet yet. We're not to the resurrection, the general resurrection at, at the second you know, coming of Christ yet, and yet there are Moses and Elijah as Moses and Elijah. And I don't really know how all this works, <laughs> and neither do you. Um, and that's okay. But there are things that we can affirm as we look around the Scriptures and we go, okay, the, the outworking of the resurrection in our lives. Well, if not for the resurrection, just go home and do whatever you want. But Christ has been raised. And because He has... Um, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through His resurrection. And so we've come to new life. We've been born again. We've passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. Right now, we have the Holy Spirit at work, the power of the resurrection in us. But we're going to die. Our bodies are going to go into the ground, the perishable seed. And there's going to be a time, unless Jesus returns before we die, and uh, maybe that you know will speed things up, but um, where we are away from the body, at home with the Lord, and yet that doesn't mean that we're just some weird uh, nebulous mist. No, there is still a personage. You're you're still a person. You're still in the image of God. You're still completely glorified and redeemed and restored in His presence. And yet there is we're awaiting this. Uh, final consummation where we get our new body and I don't really know how all that works but that's kind of those are the things we have to emphasize as we think about this played out in redemptive history questions about that is that just does that make 
pretty decent sense, even if you can't quite grasp it. You can see those three stages. By the way, uh, we're not usually as comfortable with mystery as we should be. Um, it is right and good that you would regularly be brought to the place where you reach the limits of your mind because you're finite and God is infinite. Uh, he is God and we are not. He is the creator, we are the created. Even if we have wisdom, we are a thimble full of water next to the never-ending ocean and uh, we are regularly going to be brought to the place where it's just our mind can't stretch like that and we're meant to worship we are meant to be grateful for the wisdom that we've received. We're meant to ask for more. But don't ever think that you're going to size God up and figure God out. Uh, it's just not going to happen. And so those places where you butt up against the, the ends of what you can comprehend, good, worship. He's given you enough to uh, move the heart in, in reverence and awe and worship. And that's exactly what we're called to do. Okay. Questions, or how about let's think about some applications, implications of these kind of three phases of redemption to close. What, what, what should we say to ourselves then um, in terms of what are the implications and applications for our lives? I think the end of 1 Corinthians, um, after he talks about the resurrection, he says, therefore. Yeah. So, I mean, it tells you all that. And then he says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. 1558. Yeah, that is wonderful and very insightful in terms of wherever there's a therefore, he's, he's declaring something based on what he has just said. Based on the hope of the resurrection, live for the Lord wholeheartedly. And we do so remembering that our treasure is not here that this life is not the only place that we have hope. If it is, we're the most to be pitied. But our hope is in heaven. Our treasure is in heaven. Our inheritance is in heaven. And so, wholeheartedly give yourself to the service of the Lord where He has called you. And uh, that's, a, that's a great application. What else? Thinking about that first phase that we are now in from conversion to death, um, we do have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Resurrection, yet we are often faced with our own weakness, our own insufficiency, um, trials that God assigns that seem to come at a time when we are really lacking strength or uh, the proper resources in order to navigate these trials. And He does that on purpose. Because it is not your strength that is going to get you through. It is the power of the resurrection. Um, There will be a sense of death in your life. And God will show up with resurrection. And this will happen over and over and over again. And so we have to learn to receive these trials and limitations with gratitude, trusting Him for His power and His strength and His grace which is sufficient. Um, his power is made perfect in our weakness. And, and we can recite that and write it on a chalkboard and write it in our Bibles and underline it, and yet when we feel weak and are faced with our weakness, it's still hard to appropriate in our lives. And yet, I hadn't been at this thing very long, but I can tell you this is just going to be regular for us. We're going to be faced with weakness. We're going to be faced with our own limitations. 
and we're going to be required to rely on the Lord um, and trust that indeed the hope and power of the resurrection is at work in our lives now. So, do not view your ability to carry on or overcome through the grid of your weakness. View your ability to carry on or overcome through the grid of the resurrection. It seemed pretty bleak when Jesus was in the tomb. But then He wasn't, and the world would never be the same. And it's the same thing for your life. It seemed pretty bleak when we were dead in our sins, and yet we were not left there. God has given us the Holy Spirit. Um, trust Him, and He. those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Not because it's your strength, but because it comes from the Lord. And He will give you His strength and His power of the resurrection. And... We are regularly facing death with friends, with family members, with, you know, we're all going to have our time where we are beside ourselves in grief and don't know up from down. And um, it is greatly comforting that there is an immediate hope beyond the grave, that we truly do, through faith in Christ, pass uh, from this life to the next. And so it's why... Holly's family can have this peculiar hope. They're grieving. They are um, absolutely devastated, and yet they are not going to be left in despair because we have hope. And they know uh, that her dad will be with the Lord, and he will be well, and and he will be glad. Um, There's sadness. It's appropriate because death is an enemy. And yet there is a real, lasting, tangible, immediate hope beyond the grave. And that is good. Let's quit. I'll pray. Our Father in heaven, (coughs) hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come here. Your will be done on earth in our lives, in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our city and beyond, as it is in heaven. To all nations, Lord, we desire to see uh, Your kingdom manifest, uh, Your glory spread, uh, knowledge of You in our hearts, in the hearts of those we love. Um, Thank You for revealing Yourself to us. Keep us humble in realizing that No matter how much you've revealed, we are oh so small compared to you and teach us to humble ourselves before you and worship you for who you are. Lord, uh, it is an amazing reality to think that our sins have been paid for, that uh, the greatest penalty of sin, death, has been defeated. All in you, Lord Jesus, and we come in your name, we come trusting you, we come believing what you've revealed to us. We come confident in the hope that we have beyond the grave. Uh, For those who may not be, Lord, would you grant that confidence? And would you make it oh so clear to those particularly who are grieving now and who are face to face with the enemy of death? Uh, We rejoice at the outworking of this hope in our lives now. Uh, We trust that when it is our time, we will be with you immediately. And Lord, we look forward to the restoration of all things. Uh, We can only imagine what you have prepared and uh, teach us to set our eyes in heaven, uh, to live according to the hope that we have and inheritance we have there, 
and use us, Lord, uh, here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Very good.